Good morning, church family. I have some dumb, really dumb volunteer jokes for you this morning. Okay? First, what did the kangaroo say when he was volunteering at the soup kitchen? More soup, y'all? <laughs> did you hear about the volunteer at the Renaissance Fair jousting festival? He was a freelancer. I volunteer at the COVID care clinic. Everyone is so positive there. What do you call an elderly person who volunteers their time? A dentured servant. Those are all sad, but here's one that's sad but true. Did you know that in the People's Republic of China, their national anthem is entitled March of the Volunteers, but they're forced to sing it, and that is not a joke. Did you know that? You can get uh, charges pressed against you if you're a high school student who refuses to sing the national anthem in the school. Someone tell me the difference between volunteering and being voluntold. Willingness. Willingness. Thank you, Cassandra. That is exactly right. A volunteer is likely to do something because of conviction. As opposed to being voluntold. Now, I don't mean, obviously, conviction in the lawful sense, but, but in the sense where you make right decisions either because of your conscience or because the Holy Spirit is leading you to do so. If you're a Christian, it is your Holy Spirit-led conscience. And if we're feeling convicted, we're likely to do, uh, to do something or to think something that's, that's right because we want to, right? We're convicted, and so we want to do something, or at least because we feel led to. We may not always want to do it. It may be difficult, but we do it because we are led to, although we have the freedom not to do so. But compulsion is something else. When a person is compelled, they don't feel like they have the choice to refuse, except maybe in the face of terrible consequences. And the motivating factor there, it might be fear, it might be shame, uh, it might even be obsessive-compulsive disorder. A medical condition like that, as some of you know, I'm, I'm on um, medicine for OCD and anxiety. Uh, and it's true that a, a person who struggles with these things often feels compelled to behave a certain way rather than feeling convicted. But compulsion pretty well only brings results out of a dread, a dread of punishment or a sense of, of fear. And it doesn't produce joy at all, but conviction by the Holy Spirit of God is both a product and a cause of joy that leads to grace. Now, grace is a wonderful thing. Can anybody define grace? Receiving, what you don't deserve. Receiving something good you that you don't deserve. Okay. I heard something over here. Unmerited favor. Now, that, that is the, the official, yes, the official Bible definition there. Um, in other words, it, benefiting from something or from someone without doing anything to deserve it. Okay? The Greek word charis, you may know uh, a, a girl whose name is charis. A few of us know one that used to attend here. Uh, or if your name is Grace, like Evangeline's middle name. Um, that We translate that word charis into grace, but in a literal sense, it actually, the Greek word means gift. So it can mean a blessing. Um, it, uh, it, it can mean it directly. It can also mean it indirectly. And so today, for the sake of our text and for the sake of the message today, we're, we're going to use um, all of that 
in the way that we look at the word grace, in the way that we mean it, because it'll provide a fuller picture of the blessings of God that he's been producing through the behavior of the early church. There are a lot of neat ways that the early church showed grace. We're going to look at several of those this morning. Um, You may remember that last week's passage was the first half of verse 32, which says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And by the way of, of recap, I just want to remind us that that phrase, being of one heart and soul, meant being unified in their affection and unified in their direction, okay? And it resulted in being totally committed to one another. And that, that's the backdrop that we have for the actions that we're going to observe today. So uh, would you guys stand up and read with me? It's not a long passage. It says, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. You guys are not reading out loud. Let's hear this. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to any as any had need. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for each person here. Please, Lord Jesus, help us to be good soil. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat, please. I know it's unusual to take the title off of a slide in one of uh, our PowerPoint presentations, but I really wanted this whole passage to fit on one slide uh, with big enough font that we could all read it. And not only that, can anyone tell me what word is almost dead center in this passage? Grace! Isn't that neat? Because grace is absolutely central to what I believe that God is leading me to preach about today. And and so we're going to keep that as our focus. Grace is a common thread in today's text. And and we're going to look at several different ways that grace was manifested in the early church. And so uh, we're going to try to apply that to our own context because... Um, you know, 2,000 years later almost, we are in the 21st century church, but these things still apply to us. So before we go on, though, I want you to please consider that this time, this time in church history was very unique, okay? This has not been the universal experience of the church over the last 2,000 years. However, it does appear that this is the ideal, this, it, and it is ideal that we as believers, we as Christ followers, should strive to imitate this behavior, Okay? I truly believe that the results that the Lord produced in the early church, for instance, people being added daily to their number, you know, those who are being saved, those results could happen again should the Lord choose to do so. Do you believe that with me? Do you believe that could happen? But it will likely require a remarkable openness on the part of the church and of Christians Uh, openness to his leading that I think the universal church just doesn't have right now, yet. And we should be striving for that. So with that in mind, let's dig into the scripture. They were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now this right here is a very famous passage that has been co-opted 
by the modern socialism movement and warped into something it was never intended to say. I just want to say that up front, okay? And, and while they might point to the early church and, and, and screech that Christianity equals communism, they would be absolutely wrong about that. And if you want to revisit that subject, I preached about it back in Acts chapter 2. Uh, you can get on the website, pull up our podcast. It's your convenience. I, I don't want to re-preach that message today except to point out the early church were not communists. They were a community, a functioning Christian community that was functioning as God intended, not compulsed, compelled, that's the right word, not compelled, but convicted. The most important distinguishing factor between communism and the early church community is that the early church worked out of a loving heart that had been convicted by the Holy Spirit and the love of God through Christ. And this, this is important that we all understand this. There was no compulsion. They had freedom, and they chose to be this generous. No one was forced to allow other people to have access to their stuff, okay? There, there was freedom to choose to do so or not to do so, and they chose to provide their things, their resources, whatever, for the use of other people. And by the way, uh, notice that the stuff was still theirs, okay? I mean, Luke, Luke specifies that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. Which clearly states that there was still such a thing as ownership of private property. No one came in and, and confiscated someone's goods to distribute to someone else. That's not how it worked. Rather, the people voluntarily chose to have everything, okay, in common. Because the Holy Spirit produced generosity in their spirits. And so what we're seeing here, lived out in this sentence, is the grace of sharing. Okay, now if you have kids... If you have kids, you probably know one of the first things that little human beings often learn, especially if they have siblings, is the word mine. That's right. You got it. Mine. They learn that really quickly. And the selfish impulse is pretty deeply rooted in the flesh, and it, and it comes out pretty much immediately in children. And personally, I, I know, I know that I was a very selfish child, uh, and it took more than two decades to even realize that that was the case, and I'm still working on it today. You know, we, we all have selfishness in us. Some of us recognize it. Some of us don't. But sharing is an act of grace that goes both directions, and it's good for the heart. How many of you are familiar with Aesop's fables? Anybody? You remember Aesop? Some of those fables? That you, you remember the one about the dog in the manger? It's pretty simple. It goes basically like this. Uh, once there was a dog that decided to climb into a manger, which, you know, if, if you aren't familiar, you know, that's the, a feed trough for livestock, like what Jesus was laid in when he was a baby. Now, this was not a kind dog. He was actually kind of mean. And he decided that this, this nice hay and straw-filled manger was a warm, comfortable place to lay down, and so it was going to be his. Unfortunately, that this manger was full of hay and straw because the other animals in the barn were fed from that trough. But it didn't matter to the dog, right? Because every time another, man, another uh, animal would get close to it, what the dog would do is wake up and snarl and snap at them. And after you know, a few bites on the nose, the animals decided, hey, we don't, we're not going to be able to get to our food. And so this mean old dog, the, the animal said, let's try to, to talk some sense into him. But the dog wouldn't listen. And they begged him, let us eat our hay, please. But he refused because it was his hay, his manger. He was in his comfort zone, right? He was comfortable. And long story short, the, the dog starved. 
Because he was too proud, he was too selfish to leave his warm, comfy spot. And some of the animals starved too because the dog, who couldn't even eat the hay, wouldn't let him get to it. And it's sad how selfish we can be about things that give us comfort when others could use them to survive. Hmm? Let's put that uncomfortable thought on the back burner for now. Um, What does this story have to do with sharing? (laughs) Um, It reminds us why we should share more freely. I mean, folks, if we're honest, I think we'll admit that most of us aren't able to do more than one thing at one time, at least not very well, right? I mean, how many uh, televisions can you watch at the same time? (laughs) I should have known somebody was going to answer that right off the bat. (laughs) Oh, uh, well, that's probably true. Um, but I remember one time I was, in, I was in college. Believe it or not, I went to college. Um, and we were, uh, we were walking. We were, we were in Fort Worth. It was this class trip. We were going to look at some museums in Fort Worth. And we were walking from one to another. And there's this little short flight of steps. And they're not like steep steps. They're just shallow steps. And um, there's this young lady, my friend Kristen. She's kind of a stereotypically ditzy person. And she's just walking. And she stumbled down a few steps and had to catch the railing. And so I asked her, I said, Kristen, are you, are you chewing gum by any chance? And she was like, yeah, why? Oh. <laughs> and of course, everybody there got it before she did, which was awesome. But, um, but so here we are. You know, we're, we people, we human beings, we drive two-ton machines while trying to eat and trying to text. And some of y'all ladies with your hands out the, the, the roof trying to dry your nails, you know, all at the same time. And, and we can't do too many things at once, can we? We just can't. So you're not agreeing with me this morning. Can you do a whole lot of things at once? Well, thank you. Glad to hear that that's the case. Okay, so, so it makes perfect sense then if we can't do too many things at once that we give other people use of our stuff, right? I mean, it benefits the user because they don't have to, to buy that thing. It benefits the, the person who owns the thing because it teaches us to have a loose grip on our stuff. And on top of that, it means that our stuff is being used like it was intended to be used. And then there's, there's also the fact that, that someone else may have something that you want to use sometime, right? And if everyone's able to have access to one another's tools or supplies or, or whatever, whenever we need them at the voluntary behest of the owner, then, then we, can, we can have a smoothly functioning community where, where people don't have to accumulate as much, right? We can live a little more simply, we can, and we can still be able to take care of whatever we need to take care of. I mean, even, even in our affluent society, um, we all, we, obviously we all have far more than we need. There are specialty tools and implements that not everybody has, but I'll tell you what, either Danny or Mike does have them, right? <laughs> and and they're, they're, those guys, they're happy to share their stuff and their skills with you. Um, they're both a great example of the grace of sharing. By the way, if you ever need to, uh, to open a book and music store, uh, I know somebody who can help you out with that too. But uh, anyway, so we've got several more here, so let's keep reading. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Why does Luke specify with great power? I mean, it's possible he's referring to miracles, right? But he doesn't specific, he doesn't explicitly say that. What's that? Boldness. Boldness. That, that fits in line with, uh, with what we were looking at earlier in chapter four. Absolutely. Um, it, it could be, you know, with the way the church is, is loving one another, both by expressing and experiencing grace, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be evident, right? But on top of that, 
what, what is the resurrection of Jesus a major part of? The gospel, yes. Okay, so, and the testimony of Jesus leading up to the resurrection, remember the, the, the preaching of Jesus rising from the dead, that was the main sticking point for the Sadducees because they didn't believe in an afterlife. And so, so Luke was probably using the phrase the resurrection of Jesus as, as basically a short form of the full presentation of the gospel, which speaking of great power, okay, Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for what? Salvation of? What? I heard somebody. It's the salvation of those who believe. Who said that? Didn't see? Oh, up there. Okay. I didn't. Oh, yeah. Well, you can see it. You're cheating. <laughs> so we're talking about the grace of salvation that is given to those who believe the gospel, of which the resurrection of Jesus is such an important point. I mean, remember, salvation is, is not bestowed on people who earn it, okay? Because it is impossible for any human being other than Jesus Christ to be righteous enough to earn salvation. Justification in God's sight is a gift. As Ephesians 2 says, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Okay, and again, the, the Greek word, again, there literally is charis. It is a grace of God, not by works. So, so, so what are the essentials, again, of this message, this gospel message that we're called to believe? Um, Paul sums it up really well, 1 Corinthians 15. I know we've gone over this, so I'm just going to be very quick. But Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And then he has this nice little caveat. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the first major point there, right? That he was buried, which gives evidence to the fact that he actually died, okay? That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, the second major point. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve and others, and that is, that's what gives evidence to the fact of the resurrection. So his death is evidenced by the burial, his resurrection is evidenced by the eyewitnesses. So the death and the resurrection are the two main points of the gospel message, right? And so, so, so to, put, to put this together, the grace of salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ by believing the gospel. Now that is a huge grace. That's a huge one. Without this grace, the others only matter in the temporal sense, in, in this world. While salvation is forever, Amen. All right, let's keep going. Uh, and great grace was upon them all. There's that word. There's that word. There's grace. So what are we talking about? Is, is, the, is it the grace of God? Is it the grace of one another? Perhaps the grace of those observing the church from the outside. You know what? You can't be sure from the language itself. Even if you look at the Greek, you can't know for certain what they're talking about. Although typically, when Scripture refers to God's grace, it says the grace of God, Right? Which, it, it leads me to believe that, that it might be the favor of outsiders. And, and not, because, not because they're benefiting from the church, but because they can see how the church is blessing those within. How the church is loving one another, right? I think this points to the grace of a Christian witness. It is a blessing to observe a Christian witness as it's shown among the people of God. It, it's a grace to the world. 
because it reveals the nature of God. And it can, it can result in the favor of those who are watching, even if they're not personally benefiting in it from, for, in any way that they can see. It's a beautiful thing to observe. And often we see in Scripture that, that a person or a group of people, uh, when they're serving the Lord in their attitude and in their behavior, we also see that God predisposes the people around them to, to having uh, really a, feeling a certain way. In the Old Testament, it's usually fear, right? God would make the other nations afraid of the Israelites. Okay? But in the New Testament, it's usually a charitable attitude. You remember in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we read in day by day, it says, Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So whatever is intended by this passage, I think it's fair to say that God's grace was evident through the witness of his church. And it was probably shown on the church by those who are watching from the outside. I think this is something that we in the church today need to take to heart. As a whole, the church doesn't have a great reputation in, in many places. Last week we discussed part of why that is, at least, churches that don't preach the gospel and goats in the church. That's part of the problem. But when we are practicing what Jesus preached and we're doing it well, it's harder for the church uh, to, to be seen by the world as being hypocritical, right? It's hard for them to find fault when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And again, Jesus said to the apostles, they will know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for who? Love for one another. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And when we're loving one another, the church it is beautiful to the world. It shows the, the natural attractiveness of Christ's character to the world. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to glorify God in that way? You know, one of those the songs that we sing, it's all to us, it says, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. I love that line. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. May the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. That's what we ought to be doing as a church. We want to glorify, we should desire deeply to glorify God in that way. Okay, now the next verse here, this starts to get pretty, pretty real in your face. There was not a needy person among them. Now pause here, okay. Um, there were no needy among them. I want you to note that Luke specifies among them. Okay, so we're not talking about everyone outside the church. We're talking about those inside the community of believers, right? By, by the leading of the Spirit. These, these new believers were already practicing what Paul tells the Christians to do years later, which is to do good as you have opportunity, and especially to the household of faith. This isn't to say that they weren't helping anyone outside of their own number, but they were certainly taking care of each other, okay? No needy persons among them. Now, that doesn't mean that no one was poor. Now, some of you might be like, wait, 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 what? Isn't that the same thing? Not necessarily, okay? There were many new Christians that would have been poor because they came in from outside of the region, they believed the gospel, and then they didn't go back home. So some of them were homeless, so they were lacking some of the things that we would think of as, as you know, necessary that weren't necessarily necessary. 
right? But they might have been poor. Jesus did say you will always have the poor among you, but no one was needy. Now you say, what's the difference? Needy means lacking something necessary, like shelter, like clothing, like food. So, so let's understand. I, want, I just want to make this clear. I'm not trying to get overly political, but I want to make you guys help you understand. The first year church was not practicing equity, which is a cultural buzzword today. Okay? They were ensuring that everyone had necessary uh, the things that, that were needed to live without being desperate. That's basically what they were doing. This is still a pretty amazing thing. Okay? And what we're seeing is that many of those who, who otherwise would have been needy were experiencing the grace of receiving help. Now, this is actually a grace in more than one way. Okay? Obviously, to receive help for simply being a part of something is a benefit. And it fits the category of being undeserved favor because they're not doing anything to earn that. But, but it's also a blessing to realize you are not as independent as you think you are. We are not as self-sustaining as we believe we are, folks. We cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I dare you to try it sometime. You'll get a sore tailbone. We can't do that. And I think that this goes against the grain, okay, for Americans, because we are all so big on wanting to feel like we're self-sufficient. But that's just not how things go. We, we may have our, final, our financial needs met, you know, but, or not, some of us, but we have other needs. We have spiritual needs. We have emotional needs, and they can't be met by us. Through the body of Christ, the Lord provides an extended family for, for everyone who's a part of the church. And it is a grace of God that we are able to receive help when we need it. And it is the grace of God that we occasionally need it as well. It may be hard for us to wrap our brains around that, but it is. It is a grace of God to sometimes have a need. It's good to recognize we are not made to be alone. And our, our occasional or consistent dependence on one another can be a sign of our dependence on God. By the way, by the way, if we are too proud to accept help, then in refusing to receive it, we are potentially robbing brothers and sisters of a blessing. Do you understand that? If someone wants to help you and you refuse, you're robbing them of a blessing. Let's read. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So, so Christians here are selling their property for the sake of other Christians. And that, that's pretty intense. And before anybody freaks out and wonders, you know, if, if they should choose homelessness, I want us to unpack this a little bit. I struggle with this too, you guys, okay? There have been times where I've talked to my wife, and she's very good at talking sense into me. What little there is in me um, usually came from her talking to me or, or God just answering a prayer. But um, I'd be like, what's to stop us from living in a cardboard box, you know, and just giving away? And she, she kind of said, listen, you know, there's, God wants you to take care of your family, Right? God wants you to take care of your family. But there's something to be said when we as Americans have an att a tendency to accumulate, right? How many of you have ever moved and been shocked at the amount of stuff you've got? <laughs> Most of us have. Just, again, put that on the back burner next to the uncomfortable thing. But 
I, I want to just, I want to draw this out. From the context, when it says as many as, that doesn't necessarily mean every single person that had houses or land. That's kind of an idiom, okay? It doesn't also, it doesn't say that those who sold these things gave away everything they had. In fact, it may specify houses and lands, plural, because it would be those that were affluent enough to have more than one that would sell them. That said, how many of us have more than one of something? <laughs> Pretty much all of us. How many of us have more than we need? I mean, I do, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. And I think that, that there's, this passage has a lot of application for us as American Christians because it's about the grace of giving. Now, see, this is, this is the other side of the grace of receiving help, okay? For something to be received, it must first be given. And it's wonderful to receive, but it's even more wonderful to give. It's better to give. In fact, the Apostle Paul and later on in Acts, he says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. And, and guys, I'm really glad that Paul said that because that actually doesn't show up in any of the gospel records. It's something that, that Jesus said that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't actually record, but Paul did in his conversation with the risen Christ or in talking with the disciples. So we have that in Acts chapter 20. Church, listen, giving is a grace. It is a blessing to give. It's a blessing to be able to give. Now, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul refers to giving to needy brothers as a grace. Some of you, you guys, many of you, are already very generous with what God has blessed you with. You don't need to be told this, but some of us, we may not recognize how powerful it is to learn to let go of wealth of stuff, of mammon. You can only serve one master, Jesus says. You cannot serve both the Lord and mammon. You cannot do it. Mammon is the word for stuff. I want to I say that again because I, I don't think, sometimes it's translated money. You can't serve both the Lord and money. That's also true. But that Greek word means stuff. Mammon. Can't serve them both. Okay. Some of you, uh, I guess, are probably wondering where this is going. It, it, this does something to the human heart when we learn to give things up. We are so beset with sin. Our, our, our hearts are so very, um, so very deceitful. We are so easily fooled by our hearts that we often don't realize the sin that is in us. And it, it, when we release our grip on something that belongs to us, it's a blessing. It's a blessing from the Lord. He is showing us that by releasing our grip, that we are letting go of the things that are keeping us away from him. Now, that's not to say you can't own stuff. Once again, that's not what we're talking about here. But it is a blessing to be able to release things, to be able to give. Now, in, in the big picture, I think we know this. We are all, we're all stewards of what belongs to God, right? Nothing that you have is yours without being God's first, okay? But he has given humankind the right to ownership from, from a worldly perspective. And when we take some of our material wealth, when we give it away, it trains us to be less dependent on those material things. And it frees us up to have joy in the things that matter, that are matter most. And, 
and in just in giving up something that isn't necessary to us, okay, what, what we're doing there, we may be providing something that is necessary for someone else. And Jesus pointed out in Matthew 25, caring for the needy. He said, I'm not talking about giving to, you know, I'm not talking about a tithe, okay? All right? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't tithe. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I know some of you guys are like, oh, but, but let me tell you something. Our church right now, we're doing all right. Okay, we're, meet, we're meeting our bills. If you get an extra amount of money somewhere, you don't have to give it to your church. You can go help somebody with it. In fact, if you don't tithe, you can help somebody with that money. You understand what I'm saying here? I hope none of the finance people are going, oh, shut up. But guys, there are people in the world. If you take a dollar to India, it's basically $10 over there. That's why I'm so stoked when we give so much to Glory Ministries. We gave $2,800 last time to Glory Ministries. They need it. They're doing great work over there. I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a, a tangent, but anyway. Caring for the needy is what separates the sheep from the goats when you look at Scripture. In fact, there's a couple of passages. I'm going to bring this up really quickly. I'm not going to expound on them. I'm just going to read them because they're pretty self-explanatory. The first is from James chapter 2, okay? And the context is that faith without works is dead and that the, the, the sort of so-called faith... Any, any so-called faith that has works, that doesn't save. Okay, James writes, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Rhetorical question. Answer, no good at all. Okay? You guys, you remember the song? R right? You remember that? Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as what? Screen. screen door on a submarine, yes. It's just, it, it doesn't do anything. Now, it is faith alone that justifies. I've got to say that very clearly. Faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is not alone. Amen? Okay. Then the Apostle John in his first epistle, again, the epistles are the letters, not the wives of the apostles. His first epistle, he writes, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love be in him? Again, rhetorical. Answer is, apparently, it cannot. So, so, so don't grieve or, or refuse or quench the Holy Spirit by, by saying, I'm not going to give when I feel led to give. Okay, And if you're never feeling led, then... Please, for your own sake, pray for a more sensitive conscience that God will lead you to give. Again, I'm not talking about putting money in a plate. I'm talking about for those in need. I'm talking about taking care of people. Okay? Because, folks, this is what the church does. Okay? That's the, 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 the body parts that are healthy try to build up the body parts that are in need. That's the way that we're supposed to do this. And then, so, so to continue, these believers, they sold their, their property, um, perhaps surplus property, but they sold it and then they took the money and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what's worth noting about this? Okay? I think it reveals there is such a thing as the grace of trusting. The grace of trusting. Now, obviously, these, these great acts of giving require generosity, but, but we also should recognize it took a lot of trust. I mean, first of all, trust in God, right? Trust that he was going to provide for their own needs if circumstances change and they end up in a hard spot later. We, we know this. Um, some of you, I used to be a waiter, 
a while back and did room service in a church. I mean, a church. Room service in a hotel. <laughs> it was a really nice church. It was Olstein's church. No, I'm kidding. It's terrible. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But I used to do, I used to do that stuff. And you, you require other people's generosity. You're not working on a paycheck, right? Some of you, uh, Chris, working in, you know, in uh, full-on salesmanship, you're, you know, you're paid commission. That's how you get paid. You're depending on the generosity of other people and you're trusting God. Well, when you're giving up a lot of your stuff that you could be using as, as a nest egg, guess what? That takes a lot of trust. And we know giving up our extra when we're in times of feast, it may not necessarily mean that we're going to have plenty in a time of famine. So it takes trust. We trust God to bless us by meeting our needs. And secondly, it shows trust in the church leadership. Or at least whatever organization or, or person that you're giving money to. These Christians at this point, they were giving it to the apostles. And that's because they believed the apostles were going to use the money for God's purposes and for caring for others. And that's important. Okay, because whenever we give, we are taking a risk. But we're trusting the Lord to work through our gift. And we're trusting our leadership. When you give to the church particularly, you're trusting your leadership to be good stewards of the gift. And not simply to line their pockets. You know? It appears that their trust was well placed because the end of that sentence says, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So we see that the believer's trust was well placed in the leaders because they were accountable with what they'd been given, right? They, they, they did what they had been entrusted to do. And frankly, that, that's the final grace that I'd like to end this message with. And that is the grace of being trusted, being trusted as, as leaders in that church. And folks, please, I want you to please believe me. Please believe me when I tell you that, that we elders sincerely appreciate your trust in us to be good stewards of what you guys graciously give. And I want you to know we are trying not to take that trust for granted. And uh, any of us would probably tell you lately, we've been taking uh, some time, we, we've, been, we've been being convicted about... Uh, about a lot of things, but really about praying for this body. We've been convicted about shepherding in ways that reflect the responsibility that we have, that you have placed in us as church elders and that God has placed. And we are not doing it perfectly, but we are working at doing it better. And so I want to personally thank you, uh, the congregation, for trusting us and, and for trying to lead well, you know, and also for praying for us. We need that desperately. I don't know if you see that because it's been in the bulletin for a really long time, but when you pray through the prayer list, there's a thing there where it talks about pray for the elders that we will have the desire and the wherewithal to be able to shepherd this congregation. Keep doing it. We need your help. That is the best thing that you can do for your elders is pray for us. Pray that God will give us wisdom. We want to be faithful. I truly believe that that, that, that is, um, boy, that, there's a great book. I'll have to recommend it to you. Talk to me afterwards. But, but it opened my eyes to recognize that success, it, it, it's called, um, I'm not going to tell you that. Anyway, it, success is not numbers. Success is not, uh, is not having, being able to build bigger buildings. Success is being faithful. And that goes for the church, and that goes for every individual Christian. Success is faithfulness, period. That is how God will judge. It's not, he's not going to base it on how many people you led to Christ. He's going to base it on whether you were faithful with what he gave you. He's not going to base it on the numbers of your congregation or how much money you sent overseas. Although that is a sense of faithfulness, 
I'm going to say that, but he's going to base it on, were you faithful with what you were given? So guys, I don't want anybody to feel compelled. I don't want you to feel beaten up by this message. I'm just opening that door and hope that you are too for the Holy Spirit to convict. Please just continue to pray that we have wisdom and discernment uh, and that the Lord will help us to lead Crossroad in the way that he desires. And, and by the way, I know this is not a normal way to wrap up a sermon, especially not for me, but, but it is important to me that you know this. We all fall short. All of us fall short. And we all need grace. And we all need Jesus Christ, your elders, every bit as much as every one of us. We all need, and that's my confession this morning, okay? On behalf of us elders, on behalf of all of us Christians, we need each other's prayers because we all fall short. We are all lacking something. We need one another. We need one another's prayers. We need each other's forgiveness in areas that we're not reflecting Christ. I need it as much as anybody, maybe more. You know, as I, as I look around the room, um, there are many here who bear the marks of grace. And praise God for that. We bear the, the markings of grace, but there may be some who've yet to recognize the great, deep need for grace. You know, both, both giving and receiving grace, but especially you may not realize how much you need the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so today, I'm, I'm, truly, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is going to convict someone here in a way that human compulsion can't. And that is leading to that understanding of grace so that you recognize what God is calling you to do. Faith is belief that leads to action. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, do so. I beg you, do so. And if you have done so, but you've never gone through the, the steps that Christ ordained, if you haven't confessed your faith and been immersed in water as Scripture teaches, if you haven't begun to walk in obedience, do so. You have a chance today. And maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you want to confess a sin. By God's grace, we've had people come up and do both of those things in the last couple of months. And, and I'm telling you, um, we want to provide that opportunity. This, this is your chance. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you about anything, this is your chance to follow through. So let's bow, and I'm going to pray, and then Danny's going to play a, a song of invitation. And if you feel led in some way, uh, whatever way that is, please, don't, don't quench the Spirit, okay? Father God, we ask in Jesus' name that everybody here uh, receives what you have for them, Lord, that, that they are convicted um, I pray that I am convicted. I pray, Father, that you will give us courage to trust you and to, to walk faithfully in whatever you show us to do. God, we know that, that faith without works is dead. And I pray, Father, that each of us desires to show the world that we are your disciples by our love for one another. And that perhaps that love will pour out uh, and overflow from within our community to one another and will also touch others. But, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we ask that you help remind us daily of your love for us so that we can pour that love out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.